I recently had the absolute privilege to share my story at a C-Car Recovery Center here in New Haven, Connecticut, and there I met a phenomenal woman who is working to help those in addiction recovery and beyond, and I just felt the need to ask her to jump on this podcast and talk about what she does, and she did, so how kind of her to join us. Rita is here. This is a great podcast. Uh, It's a breezy one, so don't worry that we're not talking too much about gambling, though we do talk a little bit about it. So please listen to it and find out what's going on and stay tuned to learn about the recovery walk that is happening. And thank you to Gamban and to Epic Risk Management for sponsoring this episode. Hello and welcome to All In the Addicted Gamblers podcast. My name is Brian and I have not placed a bet since July of 2014. And with me today, uh, somebody who is local to my location, the manager of the New Haven Recovery Community Center in New Haven, Connecticut, part of CCAR, which we'll get to what that is in just a minute. Rita Natali is here to talk about what CCAR does and the work that she does day to day in the community, helping people with recovery. Rita, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate you asking. I met Rita because I had the privilege of sharing my story down in her recovery center with a group of people uh, invited by one of my fellow peers here in Connecticut. And I had a blast talking with everyone, meeting everyone, and seeing New Haven for the first time. So thank you for allowing me to do that. I I really enjoyed myself. Of course. Our doors are open to everybody. So what was the meeting that I presented at? Is that a normal weekly meeting that you have? Uh, Actually, that was a monthly meeting. We do a gambling support group once a month at the center, and we also do a gambling education presentation once a month at the center. So you came down for the gambling support group and shared your story and Kind of, um, we had a support group around that. And other than that, how many meetings do you have per day in the center? Well, that could vary, actually. Um, we have an all-recovery meeting every day at 1230 to 1.30, uh, open to the public, uh, all-recovery, because we support all pathways of recovery. But we can get to that a little bit more when I talk a little bit more about CCAR and um, what we're all about. Um, we have a, a variety of different activities. So we could have, um, we have uh, virtual meetings that are offered, um, but in the center we have things that may not look much like a meeting, but kind of turns into a discussion. Like we do courageous conversations. Um, we do motivation thrives and then have discussions or TED talks and then have discussions. We do Phoenix socials, which could, which could be, uh, game playing, art activities, walking, um, exercise, uh, body scans. So we, we kind of, we do a book club every week. So we just have a plethora of activities offered at the center, um, all surrounding recovery and communication and trying to help people build recovery capital. That's really great. And since you alluded to it, what is CCAR? What is the purpose of the organization? So CCAR is, stands for the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery. Um, the purpose of our organization is we really envision a world where uh, the power, hope, and healing of recovery from alcohol and other addiction is thoroughly understood and embraced. Um, and we do that kind of through uh, three, you know, we do that through a variety of ways, but most importantly, we do that through advocacy, education, and service. And that's kind of what we're all about. 
but your portion where you are at, you are in a community center, a recovery community center. Can you explain what that is? Sure, sure. So first of all, Brian, I'm just going to backtrack for a second. So my name is Rita Natalie. I'm the center manager of the New Haven Recovery Community Center. I identify myself as a woman in long-term recovery. And for me, that means I haven't found it necessary to use any substances uh, since August 24th, 1989. So wow, with, um, with any uh, grace and in, in, uh, um, coming up in August, I'll have 33 years of continuous recovery. Um, back in my day, when I got sober, there was only one pathway of recovery. It was usually 12-step. Um, so CCAR um, has really kind of um, opened up a whole new world of recovery possibilities for people. Um, so the center, so CCAR is, is um, it's hard to kind of explain CCAR through the center. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a, a vision of what CCAR is. Okay, we have, um, we have our, our corporate part of CCAR, our leadership, our board, you know, um, and we have a very transparent um, board um, leadership. Um, culture is always at the top of our leadership meetings every every week. Our leadership team meets and culture is always agency culture. Um, we have five recovery community centers in the state of Connecticut. Um, soon to be more, we hope. Um, we have training opportunities uh, to become and learn about becoming a recovery coach. We have advocacy where we try to get people um, involved at a state level, a national level sometimes, having our voice be heard, helping people in recovery understand um, why it's so important to, to have our voice be heard. Um, but a couple of main things about CCAR is we're very unique in the sense that our goal is to put a positive face on recovery. So we're not anonymous. Um, we're very proud to show the world that 23.5 million people are living in active recovery. We don't hear that often enough. No. Um, so we're always in the heart of every community. We want people to, we're right in the heart of where things are happening. We're not going to hide in some dark corner and, uh, we're out there and we're out there and we want people to know that people and so we we feel that as an organization and with our organizational culture and our vision and our mission statement we feel that we um take people who are sometimes a drain on society and turn them help them find recovery and find them to, to be very productive members of society um and we're really proud of trying to help people um recognize that we do recover we do indeed recover you know recovery is contagious as well we think that we should be carriers of recovery and not only do we have five centers um brian we have contracts with all 27 hospitals in the state of connecticut i believe it's 27 contracts with their emergency department so anytime anybody gets called into a gets brought into a hospital for a, an addiction re related cause uh, once they are medically cleared and then psychiatrically cleared, they'll ask, they'll be asked if they'd like to speak to a recovery coach. And at that point, one of our CCAR emergency department coaches will be sent out to speak with that recovery. So we make connections um, in the hospitals. We have um, Department of Correction. We have coaches that are working with people who are returning citizens before they get released, going inside and helping them build those recovery community connections on the outside. So when they get dropped off, um, they have a place to go and get connected. 
Um, we just recently started doing work with, with um, diversionary core programs. Um, so far, it started with three towns, Hartford, Waterbury, and Bridgeport. Um, so we're really making a difference. We're really trying to educate the world that um, people do recover um, and, and we can actually turn our lives around and become productive, healthy members, giving members of society. So it's great stuff. How did you become involved with CCAR? Well, that's a very interesting question. So I've been in recovery for a very long time, and um, I was in a, a position that I was not fulfilled um, for many years, but only having a high school diploma, I really struggled to let go of that because I wasn't sure about opportunities to support myself. Um, the agency I was working at at the time actually sent me to Recovery Coach Academy. Uh, CCAR is a leader of training recovery coaches in the world, we've trained to date, I think, almost 80,000 people in the 20, 22 years we've been training. Um, so they actually sent me to Recovery Coach Academy with the hopes that we were going to, you know, kind of um, try to bring people with lived experience into our organization. So they sent me to all the trainings. I was super enthused and excited. And um, and the agency I was at decided they were not going to um bring in people with lived experience. So it was the first time I heard a lot of things at that training, Recovery Coach Academy, about culture. And if I wasn't part of the positive culture, I was part of the negative, um, um, you know, because we don't stand still. And I was, I was really unhappy. I, I wanted to do more with my recovery. I wanted to feel like I made a difference more in my work. Um, and so I just jumped. I just leaped. I quit my job without, without another job. Um, I was unemployed for six months, and during that time, the the crisis on the the green happened in New Haven. The over the um, K two the marijuana laced with K two, where there was uh, over 9,900 people that overdosed in a period of two to three days on the New Haven green. So thank God nobody died. But um, based on that event, Demis um, provided funding for one position at CCAR called the Recovery Navigator or educator, educator slash, I think it was recovery educator. And my role was going to be to kind of have a remote office somewhere in town and kind of just go to different agencies and events to promote recovery and why recovery was so necessary in communities. And the day I got hired, our CEO, our executive director, Phil Valentine, called me in and said, your position got defunded. Now, Phil is known as a jokester, so I thought he was kidding me. And he said, no, I'm actually not kidding. Um, I said, oh, my God, what happens now? I just quit my job. And, you know, and he said, well, they did fund us for one brand new recovery center in Connecticut. Uh, and we think you'd make a great recovery center manager. Would you be willing to take that position? I said, oh, my God, of course, I would love to do that. Um, and I said, where's the center? And he said, well, we don't actually have one yet. So I literally found this building in New Haven, Connecticut. I started pounding the pavement, looking at real estate. You know, I had, of course, some help in the beginning, but then people got really busy and it was my job to find a space. And uh, I was terrified. had no idea how I was going to do that. had no idea what that, you know, I what did I know about finding a building for a recovery community center? So it was kind of funny. I had an epiphany one day. It was a very hot summer. As anyone who works in New Haven knows, there's one ways and ticketing where you're not supposed to park. And so I would park my car. I would get out and just walk for miles and take down um, leasing for lease signs and 
you know, take a whole pad of landlord name and numbers and locations um, by walking around. And one day I'm walking around and I'm complaining to myself, what do I know about finding a center? And what do I know about doing this? And I got hired for something completely different. And then it was almost like someone hit me in the head with a brick. Um, and the light went on and I kind of had this little spiritual thing that said, Rita, first of all, they trust you to do this. Um, second of all, you know, wow, they are giving you an amazing opportunity here. And third of all, imagine if you succeed, how much you will wow them. So my thinking turned around and um, the rest is history. You know, um, we found I found some places that didn't work out. The building we found in New Haven um, was a wide open space. There are no bathrooms, no closet, no offices. But my um, my supervisor liked it enough. You know, it was smaller than we originally wanted, but it was a perfect location because we're across the street from St. Rayfield's campus of Yale New Haven Hospital, right on Chapel Street, uh, about nine tenths up from the green, right on the bus line. Those are all really good, you know, things that we look for. We want to make it accessible to people. Um, and so we met with the landlords and they were able to do the build outs that we asked for. And, and um, we opened up um, December 4th, 2019. And three months later, I got shut down due to COVID. Um, so it's been a challenge this entire time. But um, from what I hear from leadership and the powers that be, they're extremely happy with the progress New Haven is making. They're extremely happy with the culture and the community that we've built here. Um, so, you know, we, we've had almost 600 people walk through our doors in July of 2022, and all of this has been during a pandemic. So I'm really proud of the work that we do. I'm really proud of the work that CCAR as a whole does and, um, what an organization to work for that actually gives you an opportunity to thrive. And, you know, when people place confidence in you, I don't know about you, but when people place confidence in me, I want to please them. I want to make them proud. Because, you know, all my years of being active, not many people placed a whole lot of confidence in me, nor should they have. So um, I don't know. There's just a lot of gratitude there. And, um, you know, the work we do matters. Um, we have some heartache. You know, we lose some folks. I have people in my center sometimes that I don't get to see anymore. But I like to focus on how many people we do reach and how many people do come back and how many people get jobs. And there's been so many successes just since I've started. I had, um, I'm sorry, I don't know whether I should pause for you, but I, I had, um, no, you, can keep going. you know, just in my short time, I had two volunteers that have come through my doors that were seen as recoveries in an emergency room. Um, they were seen by another coach as recoveries. Um, they got connected to the center in New Haven. Um, they volunteered for a year. They both went to RCA and they both got hired as EDs at CCAR. And to me, to see that full turnaround is really miraculous. Um, you can't really put a price tag on that. I had another gentleman, a volunteer here who was formerly incarcerated, um, just came out from, I think, a couple year bid. He volunteered here for a year um, and he just, you know, kind of advocated for him at another agency and um, he just got hired as a full-time recovery coach at another New Haven organization, a very good organization that we collaborate with. You know, we send people over there. Uh, and another volunteer of mine just got hired at MCCA um, as, as, a, as a recovery coach. So, um, and, and many of our folks that volunteer, not just in New Haven, at all of our centers, you know, have success stories. You know, they, they really turn their life around based on what CCAR 
offers our philosophy on recovery. We're kind of unique in that way. Uh, we have six kind of principles that we live by and, and it works. It, it's just a beautiful way for people to turn their lives around and really go out and, and become who they're supposed to be in the world. So I, I just, I love being a part of that. You go home at night and even though you may be exhausted, um, it's such a beautiful feeling to know that, you know, sometimes something little, Bri, that you say or do for somebody, you have no idea how that can turn their life around. I had one volunteer, a gentleman who got hired as a full-time coach. He said, you know, when they asked him to go in my office for something, and, and the next day he said to me, um, you know, something like, you know, people say they trust me all the time, but you proved you trust me. And I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, you let me go in your office yesterday and you didn't follow me in there. You trusted me alone in your office. And, you know, the guy had tears in his eyes. And to me, it was just a gesture of, can you run in my office and grab something? And to him, it was a gesture of, wow, this person is actually letting me go in her office alone based on my history and where I've come from. So that kind of stuff is just, I don't know how you put words into that. It just makes me want to cry. So it's its just beautiful stuff. <clears throat> yeah, that is, that is a beautiful story. Um, I, I want to know your, if I may ask a, a bit more of a personal question, sure. what was your relationship with recovery? Did you have, well, I don't suppose there's a typical recovery. But the circumstances with which you entered recovery, I guess. Could you tell that story? Sure. So um, I had started using young. I had a lot of uh, loss and tragedy and, you know, just loss, a lot of loss. You know, as a kid, I always thought you all love this person. Someone dies. You should that should bring you together. And that's not really what happened in my family. Loss kind of fragmented us. And um, my whole life, I've been trying to figure out why that happened. Even to this day, you know, it's apparent in my family dynamics. I was a baby of eight. I had no um, no disease in my family growing up. We had a sick kid that died when I was 10. So my whole childhood was kind of surrounded by him being in a wheelchair and crippled and, you know, 24 hour care. And so the rest of us, you know, unknowingly we were kind of led to believe that we were selfish when we wanted to do normal fun things because our brother couldn't do those things so we all kind of grew up with um you know kind of not a lot, whole lot of inside stuff my mom was was very drained taking care of my brother and she did the very best she could but um but she didn't always have enough left for the rest of us emotionally my my siblings have all done very well I'm the baby of eight but um I just kind of um, my brother died when I was 10. I was a scared, lost, lonely kid, and I started using when I was probably 12, 13 years old. And it was really just because I was terrified and I just wanted to not be so afraid all the time. But, you know, whatever happened, whether I have the genes or whatever, the propensity for addiction took place in my life. Um, and so alcohol and drugs became a way for me to, the only way I knew how to show up in the world. So when I was about 26 years old, um, the pain that alcohol and drugs were causing in my life became a little bit more intense than the reasons why I started using alcohol and drugs. And um, and the truth is, is they weren't working for me anymore. They used to be able to numb me or take away my pain or take away my sadness. And, and that wasn't happening anymore. So I knew I wanted to find another way. Back in my day, um, there were really only 12-step programs. So so I, I did eventually, you know, I had a few more losses along the way that kind of prompted me. I was in a very bad space um, emotionally. In fact, I have a picture on my wall, Brian, of me and two friends and they're both gone due to addiction. Um, they both died in accident. But, but you know, 
I don't know why I wasn't the one to go because I really didn't. I had so much loss in my life that I was hoping that I'd be next because I didn't I didn't have the skills to just let people love me and then lose them. So I had a lot of loss and I put up a lot of emotional walls. But apparently there was other reasons for me to stick around. And um, today all of that pain uh, has been turned into purpose. It's, it's a beautiful thing to know that um, the things that we were most ashamed of and embarrassed of can actually be the things that help you know, be the catalyst for other people to get well. I happened to find a man. I was I was struggling with my sexuality at the time. Um, I was kind of leading a double life. And I, I um, left the state of Connecticut to try and find my way. I went to a dog grooming school in Massachusetts um, because I had no, you know, I didn't do well in school. And I happened to run into someone at this grooming school that recognized all the signs of addiction. She put her hand out to me. And for the first time in my life, I guess, because she didn't know me, I knew she didn't want anything from me. And it turns out her husband was uh, in in a 12-step program. And, um, you know, that's where my journey began. And, you know, I was lucky enough a couple years later to to, um, end up having a a man who was very revered in the 12-step programs. And he reached out to me. um, He said he heard me share a few times and thought I really shared from my heart told me I was one of the good guys. And the reason I say that is because all these years later, Ali is with me every day in my center. You know, he, what I, what I can see now, Brian, when I look back is he kind of taught me all the Sikar philosophy without me ever knowing he was coaching me. It's such a weird, I can't help but feel like this greater force in my life because everything that Ali taught me, I used to go to meetings and think, gee, man, I got a gif of a sponsor because my sponsor never told me what to do. My sponsor never told me I had to go to meetings. My sponsor never told me to call him every day. And I used to think, wow, I got a gif of a sponsor. But today, that's exactly our philosophy is we are coaches. We're, we're not, you know, sponsors. We're not therapists. We're not priests. We're coaches. So our philosophy is we are our own best resource. You know, we treat our recoveries as the own best resource. Um, Phil, who's someone I admire very much, he's the CEO, and he's always saying, I don't need the answer as a coach. I need to be on the quest for the next great question, you know? And if my recoveries are saying to me, wow, that's a really good question. I never thought of that, then I'm doing a great job as a coach. And that's what Ollie did for me. When I told him way back, you know, I, we'd have a conversation over coffee, and I'd say, I know, uh, I guess I'm just a piece of crap, you know, and he'd go like, he'd, he'd put his shoulders up and shake his head like, well, what do you want me to say to that? So he would say, he'd see my face drop and he'd say, honey, what do you want me to say when you say that to me? And I said, well, obviously I want you to tell me I'm not a piece of crap. And he said, and I can tell you that to the day you die, but if you don't learn to believe it inside of you, how am I helping? And so everything he taught me he would say to me, you are the read expert. I'd say, no, I'm not the read expert. I don't know anything about read. And he said, well, you're on the journey of becoming the read expert. So today, here I am in this organization that that tells me the same thing. All this foundation I got from Ali is exactly what CCAR is about. We think our recoveries are their own best resources. We want to treat people with dignity and respect. We want to ask the right questions to help people find their own pathway of recovery. So there's just so many beautiful things. I, it just kind of feels pre-designed that I, that I ended up here. It's just really kind of weird.
at what point in your recovery did you feel the need to give back and to to want to help others, to want to reach out to, to others? Well, that's a very interesting question. That's a good question, Brian. Um, you know what? I think I've always been the person who wants to help, but I think it wasn't really until, and I hate to say this, it took me longer than some, but probably 10, 15 years before I actually thought I had anything worth giving back. Okay. I had a lot of clearing away of my broken pieces and um, I didn't have the confidence in myself. And and so um, it took me a long time to recognize that I could t- I could take my shame and I could turn it into purpose. And, and um, but when I when I arrived there, there was no stopping me then, because um, I just want everyone in the world to see their beauty inside of them. So. Well, thank you for sharing about yourself. I always feel like it's important to get those details in there because somebody hears something, just a minor detail, and I, I think they can relate to somebody a lot easier. So thank you for sharing all of that. Absolutely. If I'm a person who is looking for help and I'm walking by the Recovery Community Center in New Haven, what what kind of help is there for me? What do I need to do to find the help? Well, all you need to do is walk inside, you know, that's it. There's no assessment process. There's no uh, testing. There's no questionnaires. We ask you to sign your name and your number, and the number just got introduced since COVID. Um, so we could let people know if we ever had an outbreak. So really we just, you know, ask people to sign in a log that they entered the center because we just want to show the state that our resources are being utilized. That's it. Um, we have volunteer recovery coaches on site, um, people that have gone through recovery coach Academy. Um, and so sometimes people don't want to sit in on a a meeting because they feel more comfortable one-on-one. So they have those options. We have people come in the center, Brian, looking from everything from housing resources, help to fill out an online application. Can you help me with my resume? Can you connect me to sober houses? Do you know um, where I can get a job in the town? Um, you know, 211, help me navigate 211, inpatient programs, outpatient programs. I mean, you name it, we connect people. Um, it's just constant, you know, that's, you know, there's volunteer opportunities in the center. So um, a lot of people, we so unique thing about the recovery community center. So there's two staff in the centers. There's a center manager, myself in New Haven. And then there's a volunteer manager. Robert is our volunteer manager in New Haven. Um, and so the rest of the center, all the jobs in the center are done by the volunteers. And we get uh, our pool of volunteers normally from a couple places. We get interns who need it for school. We get people who want to become recovery coaches and they come in looking for information on how do I become recovery coach or how can I go to Recovery Coach Academy and you guys will pay for it. Um, and we get people who need to do community service hours. And then we get family members, friends, or just people in recovery that want to give back to the recovery community. So there are a lot of opportunities in the center. So in order to become a volunteer, there's a volunteer orientation, and that goes towards your first two hours of volunteering. Any job in the center you want to do, if you want to do the receptionist job, there's a training. We do telephone recovery support calls. So what that means is people fill out a very short form, um, like maybe eight fields. And basically, they tell us what time of day they'd like a support call. And our volunteers make telephone recovery support calls at four different time slots during the day. Uh, Basically, that call is, hi, my name is Rita. I'm a volunteer at New Haven Center, CCAR. And we're just calling to check in and see how your recovery is going. Is there anything you need, any assistance you need today? 
Um, sometimes people are like, I'm doing great. And we're like, cool, we'll call you back next week. Sometimes people need resources and we try to provide those resources to them. So those jobs, the TRS are done by volunteers. The receptionist is done by volunteers. Everyone you know who facilitates a meeting is a volunteer and they've gone through a little group facilitation training. We do recovery coach modules every Wednesday morning in the center. Uh, New Haven, it's Wednesday morning. Other centers might have a different time frame on that. So volunteers who come in the center, do 100 volunteer hours, do six of the nine modules that we teach in the center for free. If they're a good active volunteer, we will scholarship them to Recovery Coach Academy. So, um, so you're not only helping people with their recovery and assisting them in that regard, but you're giving people a purpose outside of that to belong to something and to help others. And to gain employable skills, absolutely, so they can go out and pass it on and, and share it. And we teach about self-care as well. And so, you know, we, it's a it's a very cool. We live by kind of six. Our philosophy is one, you're in, your recovery has to come first. So even if you're volunteering here and you're going through some hard times and you're very active in the center, we'll ask you to, you know, don't facilitate a meeting today. Sit in on the meeting. Don't be a recovery coach at the center. Talk with your recovery coach. So your recovery always has to come first. And we preach that all the time. We want volunteering to be something that's beneficial in the recovery, not a stressor in the recovery. Two, you're in recovery if you say you are. So we're not the sobriety police. If somebody says my drug of choice is heroin and I'm only smoking marijuana, we're going to say good for you. We're super glad that you're, you're making great progress on your goal of not using heroin. We're going to meet people where they are and welcome them. Um, we don't, we, we kind of manage our own bias and let people figure out what pathway looks best for them or, you know, what works best for them. And we pretty much ask two questions around that. You're in recovery if you say you are. One is we say, how can we help you with your recovery? And two is, what does your recovery look like to you? Three, we support all pathways. We support multiple pathways of recovery. Uh, four, we're not counselors, therapists, doctors. So we don't care about your pathology. We want to be focused on your potential and how can we help you get there by asking those questions. What does recovery look like to you and how can we help you get there? Um, five, we are on the side of the recovery and six, we are on the side of being generous. So we, we try to, um, you know, volunteers, we want volunteers to, to show up and be respectful and buy into the culture of, you know, um, being strong leaders and being a face of recovery and being a positive face of recovery and, you know, advocating for CCAR's values. Um, but we're going to err on the side of being generous as well. We're not going to, do that in a way that punishes people or tells people they can't come here if they make a mistake or if they slip or have a reoccurrence. Um, we, we just, we want, we want to promote recovery. We want to put a face on recovery. Does the center have hours? Are you open a certain amount of time throughout the day? If people are, you know, in need late at night, what happens then? So we are open Monday through Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. Um, the centers are closed in the evening right now. We do have a young people's meeting on a Tuesday night at the center from 7 to whenever, 7 to, to it's a uh, young people's meeting. That's from 18 to 35, but they're not going to kick you out if you're over 35. They're not going to say you can't be here. Um, and, and so we're not open in the evening, but we make sure that people, you know, there's virtual meetings offered. We have all kinds of resources to give them other virtual meetings, 12-step meetings, 
um, you know, we, we make sure people are connected. We make sure that people have the resources we need. And one other important thing about the center that I might not have mentioned is the center isn't just open for people in recovery. It's open to anyone who has been affected by the disease of addiction or anyone who simply wants to learn how to support um, a recovery lifestyle. So meaning family members, friends, allies, all the benefits are open to them, to them as well. They have an equal seat at, at the table. Um, and we, we believe that it's a family disease. And so the more we have allies at the table, the more important. So CCAR was originally brought together 22 years ago um, to, to organize the recovery community. A lot of policies and things were happening at the political level without about recovery, people in recovery, without people in recovery at the table. So that's how we kind of first got together. And we said, why are all these decisions being made about people in recovery without the, the recovery community present? Um, and so that's kind of how we, we came about. And now here we are 22 years later, and we're still doing recovery walks, which is a huge event for us in September. Um, it's a great family event. There's food trucks and kids zones and music and games and community and exhibitors and fun. All five centers have provide transportation. A lot of our folks, you know, New Haven, I'm in New Haven, 2% of my folks take public transportation or walk. So we make sure that our volunteers and visitors can get to these events. So we'll have buses show up at every center to bring them to this big event recovery walk in September. Um, you know, we, we are all about communities. I personally believe as a center manager, every individual that we help, they go back to a family unit. And hopefully some of that, you know, rubs off on the on the family and the family starts healing. So I, I think we work with far more people than just people in recovery. We, we tend to um, help families heal. I personally believe that. So what's the date of the recovery walk and the hours and the location? For anybody uh, listening who is in walk. Connecticut who or, or beyond Connecticut who wants to come into town, but anybody oh, in absolutely. Connecticut. absolutely. We get people from Massachusetts sometimes. Absolutely. It's at Bushnell Park, Hartford, Connecticut, Saturday, September 24th, 2022. It's from 11 to 4. Uh, all the centers in Connecticut will probably have people picked up at the bus, you know, at the centers at 10, get them up to Hartford and get them back to, to the prospective centers at the end of the day. There's a beautiful walk that happens there. We cut the ribbon. There's an honor guard of like people with long-term recovery. They kind of lead the, the walk and then partway through the walk, they park to the sides and all the other people go through um, oh. and they give them high fives and support them and encourage them. And it's a beautiful day. It's a, it's a remarkable, amazing, beautiful day <clears throat> to celebrate recovery. So uh, this is this is a gambling addiction podcast that I do. I mean, we we do touch on other forms of of addiction very much so, uh, including in this conversation. When did CCAR start recognizing gambling enough to have a meeting? When did that meeting start? When did you see a need for that about gambling? So so I've been with the agency for three years, and I know that ever since I've been here, <clears throat> we we um I have always worked with um MCCA Better Choice. You know we're always Demis. Um, we've always been promoting gambling education and gambling support. We do at least one gambling support meeting a month. Um, if we see the need, we will try and do more of that. We do one gambling education a month. 
Um, a lot of people, I think, with the new uh, gambling apps on the phones, and um, I think we're going to see a rise of gambling, particularly in the younger um, generation. I really believe in a year or two we're going to be overwhelmed with um Personally, you know, um, I kind of walked a fine line with gambling myself at one point, um, and I'm glad that I had the education in the center every month because some things that I learned at those presentations really kind of helped me recognize what kind of mood I was in when I wanted to gamble, what was really going on for me, what was my restlessness. Um, and there were a couple of things I heard during those gambling education presentations that just were, were transformative for me. Um, but I do, I just do believe that um, I can't tell you the exact time or date that CCAR took interest, but I can tell you that at my center in New Haven, since I've been here, I've always made sure that um, on a monthly basis, we are bringing gambling education into the center. Absolutely. I've, I mean, I really appreciate that you guys touch on gambling and have that meeting. And I was uh, very honored to be able to present at that meeting and share my story. And so when I visited your center, this is this is the type of work that they're doing. I showed up. Rita wasn't there. Rita was outside with two volunteers uh, cleaning up the neighborhood, literally picking up trash. She came inside with two volunteers with bags of trash that they had been picking up in the neighborhood. And that's what I walked into. And that's, I think, when I was so touched on where I was uh, to see what you're doing in the community is just so heartwarming and, and kind. And it's nice to see that there is a place that exists like this. And it's CCAR. And so it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Rita, and to have you on the podcast and share what CCAR does. I very much appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate appreciate the opportunity to get a chance to speak to you. And, you know, there's no charge for anything in the center that CCAR offers. There's no charge. So come check us out. Um, come be a part of something bigger than yourself. Come see how amazing you can be and uh, build some recovery capital and some community and uh, the best is yet to come. And, and once again, the recovery walk is September 24th, 11 to four. 11 to four Hartford, Connecticut, Bushnell park. And I believe I will be there. So if you listen to this podcast and you're in Connecticut, you should come, come, come. Yeah, you're come in recovery probably from gambling. If you're listening to this podcast, so come and hang out and, be a part of recovery with everybody else. Thank you, Brian. I so appreciate your time today. I really do. And um, I hope to see you down at the center soon. Oh, I would love to come back. And I definitely will. Uh, and thank you very much, Rita, for this. You guys are doing amazing work. And so thank you for everything you do. And thanks, everybody, for listening. This podcast is owned by Lee Street Media, LLC. Music provided by T-Vance. Remember, this is a podcast. The views expressed on the podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. If you need help for a gambling addiction, please seek professional help.